0: Today you are going to receive what I'm going to refer to as the Swiss Army Knife of Sermons. It is one message that has multiple tools for application. In fact, this one message could fit in four of our current studies that we're going through at Sherwood. Uh, The topic this morning is the Gospel at Home. And just in case you're wondering, it is officially a part of our series entitled, This is Gospel Living but it could also fit within our equipped series and that is a series talking about discipleship at home and equipping believers for every stage of life. This could also fit within our in Christ series. That's a Sunday night series we're going through verse by verse study of the book of Ephesians and it would fit there because this morning we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. It could also fit within another Sunday night series entitled A Night of Answering Questions. And I say that because this morning, we're going to address many of the questions that come to us about parenting, about raising families, about discipleship, about dealing with tension and stress and communication within the home, about the gospel, all of those things, and then some are going to be addressed this morning. So I want you to listen to the way one commentator described the four verses that we're going to study. He said, and I quote, Christian seminars, Books and articles on the family continue to proliferate, and volumes of schemes and principles are proposed for strengthening families. Child psychology books have been written almost ad infinitum, yet God's Word gives the basis for right parent-child relationships in just four verses. When the other teachings of Scripture, supportive of those verses, are studied and applied, every parent and every child has all the foundational information necessary for godly and harmonious living, end of quote. Did you get that? Four verses contain the essential information for godly and harmonious homes, When I think about the tens of thousands of books and articles and principles and techniques that are proposed within Christian circles to help on parenting and raising children and home life and all of those things, it can become overwhelming. I like four verses. I can study four verses. I can memorize four verses. Four verses is easy. And and that's my thing this morning. I want this morning to be encouraging and easy. I want it to be simple. I want us to be able to see truths that are unbelievably applicable and they are deeply biblical. I want us to be able to look at this text and walk away with so many points of application. We're going to find application this morning for parenting stronger marriages, better communication, dealing with stress and conflict, serving each other in the home, forgiving each other in the home, living a life of love within your home, transferring your faith to the next generation, deepening your relationship with God, all of that and a lot more. When I say this is a Swiss Army knife of sermons, I'm not kidding. Okay, now here's the challenge. There's always a challenge. If it were that easy, we'd be doing this week in and week out. Here's the challenge that we're going to be up against. It doesn't matter if a message is simple, clear, helpful, practical, and biblical. All of that's good. It doesn't matter. If people don't like it, they don't want to hear it. And there's a whole lot about the family that people don't want to hear. Now part of the reason for that is because our parenting style, the way we lead our home, the dynamics of our marriage, those things seem really, really personal. And we don't like people all up in our business. Doesn't matter if business is good or bad, we still don't want them in our business. Doesn't matter if we're about to go out of business, we still don't want them in our business. These things are very personal. But there's another reason why this is going to be a challenging message specifically for younger families. You're going to hear a lot this morning that's going to remind you of the way your parents brought you up. Now, here's the reason that's challenging. So much of the current parenting techniques are overreactions against how our parents raised us. In fact, you'll you'll hear people say things like, my parents were really strict, so I was determined I was going to be more lenient. Or I had to work hard for everything. I want my kids to enjoy being a kid. I don't want them to have to work as hard as what I had to work. Or you'll hear people say, my parents made me go to church and I hated every second of it, so I just want my kids to find God all on their own. Okay, in our attempt to do things differently, people discard pieces before thinking about the repercussions. There's a quote I've been using for years. I'm gonna encourage you to write it down. It's a good quote. You can use it with friends, family. You can bring it up at Christmas. It's gonna be a good quote. Here it is. Don't tear up a fence until you know why it was there. Don't tear up a fence until you know why it was there. That is a good word for parenting, it's a good word for marriage, it's a good word for life in general. So I'm gonna encourage you, as best you know how, in just a moment, I'm about to pray, and when I pray, I'm gonna encourage you, pray the same thing. Pray that God allows you to keep open ears throughout the course of today's message. Open ears, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The truths that you're going to hear this morning, I guarantee you, guarantee you, guarantee you, guarantee you, guarantee you, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna guarantee you, it will change your home for the better how can i make that type of a guarantee because it's based on scripture and god's word is our standard of application for all matters of faith and practice and the second part of it is it is steeped in the gospel and we don't outgrow the gospel you grow into it we got a lot to cover this morning. I'm going to invite you to join me today, Ephesians chapter number 6, verses 1 through 4. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. I'm speaking on the subject, the gospel at home. Now, before we read the text, as you're finding your place there, I'm going to give you a commercial break for tonight. Tonight, our children's choir is going to be singing. I want you to come back for that. But there's something else that's going to be different tonight. Um, This has no relation to the children singing, but the topic for this evening is, what does the Bible say about angels and demons? I need to (laughs) clarify. These two were not planned in connection with each other. Okay? (laughs) This is a topic that I try to take these standalone Sunday nights to address something where people continue to ask us questions. I have been receiving more and more questions related to spiritual warfare, demonic activity, and angels in the last several months. Tonight, we're going to address that. So here's what the Scriptures have to say. Ephesians chapter number six will be in verses one through four. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, keep our ears open today. Allow us to hear these verses like it's the first time. And Lord, may your spirit Allow the truths to be so specific to what we're walking through that there's no way we can miss the application. In Jesus' name, amen. So in each message of this series, this is Gospel Living, I'm giving you the same 30-second overview of the gospel. You all know I do things in ongoing, repeated fashion. I want you to know it. I want you to be able to complete the next statement before I get to it. Here's this overview of the Gospel. The Gospel is the good news of God's design, sin's intrusion, and Christ's solution for human flourishing. The Gospel, it addresses four major themes of Scripture. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. The gospel tells us we've been created for relationship with God, our sins separated us from that relationship, and Jesus did what was necessary to reconcile the relationship. That's the gospel. Now there are certain issues that we're going to face in our daily life, and today you're going to see you're going to face them in your home life that our ability to respond well is based on principles that flow out of the gospel. It doesn't matter what home you're a part of, there's gonna be sin that has to be addressed within the home. How do you address sin? It's addressed through the gospel. It doesn't matter what home you grow up in, there's going to be misunderstandings, there's going to be tension, there's going to be conflict. There has to be an understanding of how do you work through things towards reconciliation and restoration. We find those concepts that are found in Scripture. It doesn't matter what family you grow up in, you need to show how to to extend mercy and grace and have patience and love others. These are truths that we find the fullness of within the gospel. So this morning, we are going to start this in context over and over again. It is so important for people to know, always look at context. So in this section, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are about correct belief. The second three chapters are about correct behavior. We are in the application phase of the book of Ephesians. That's gonna be incredibly important. In the first three chapters, Paul tells us who we are in Christ, what God did for us at salvation, and what we have through union with Christ. It is a detailed analysis of the gospel. That's the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. In the second three chapters, Paul tells us how we take those truths and now we live them out in everyday situations. So he shows us how do you live the gospel at church, How do you live the gospel with your gifts? How do you live the gospel through your acts of service? How do you live the gospel throughout your relationships? How do you live it within your family? How do you live it while you're at work? How do you live it when you're facing spiritual warfare? Everything you're seeing chapter four, five and six is an application of the gospel. This is not a section about theory. This is a section about application. Now, it's also good to know that Paul is in a series of comparisons. He begins these comparisons back over in chapter 2. In chapter 2, he compared the church to a temple that is being fitted together by God. In chapter 4, he compared the church to a body that's held together by what every joint supplies. In chapter 5, he compared the church to a bride who submits to Jesus as the head. And now in chapter 6, he compares the church to soldiers who are trained to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Here's why it's important. You might understand the basic overview of what Ephesians is about. You might understand we're now in the application section of Ephesians. But it's also important to understand there is a theme all the way through chapter 6 dealing with soldiers standing firm. In fact, he shows the soldiers' relationships, verses 1 through 9. The soldiers' enemy, verses 10 through 12. The soldiers' protection, verses 13 through 20. And the soldiers' example, verses 21 through 24. This is the soldier chapter. Now, our chapter 6 opens with instructions to children, to parents, to slaves, and to masters. Those were the key relationships of first-century homes. Now, you might be wondering, why in the world would he start a section about soldiers by focusing on their home, the relationship in the home? What you'll find the further you study chapter 6, it becomes clear the soldiers' training does not begin when they go to boot camp. It begins as children in the home. And in fact, here's a great overview of that. This is an example that was given through the Naval Station Great Lakes, one of the primary training areas, stations for the Navy. Here's what they said in a report, and I quote... A large percentage of young people in the United States attaining the age of Navy enlistment must be rejected because of previous criminal records and because of personality, psychological, or health problems. Listen to this. Severe problems are faced in the training of young people who must be trained in the simple things that they should have learned at home. At 17, they ought to be ready to launch into a training program. The Navy finds they can easily put a uniform on a man. It's putting a man in the uniform that's causing problems. End of quote. I've got another one. (laughs) Bam. Okay, this one, 2021, up to 75% of U.S. youth ineligible for military service. Listen to this quote. Commanders in the field have to trust that our soldiers will respect authority, work within the rules, and know the difference between right and wrong. Where in the world do you learn those things? You learn them at home. This Major General James A. Kelly, he went on to talk about children and home life and where you learn it. Here's what he said. Young children need to learn how to share, wait their turn, follow directions, and build relationships. This is when children begin to develop a conscience differentiating right from wrong. And when they start to learn to stick with a task until it's completed, end of quote. it starts as children in the home. Now that's not just a military issue. There's a report that just came back from a number of mission sending agencies and they were looking out at the young missionaries being sent to the field. Here's what they said. A very small percentage of students graduating from Bible colleges and schools will go to foreign missions and those who go, a startling number return after the first term as casualties of the cause. End of quote. In other words, even the young kids who feel called of God to go to the mission field and are willing to go to the mission field, even those who came through Christian homes, they're leaving home ill-prepared for life. Many times they don't know how to listen. They don't know how to follow directions. They don't understand how to work hard. They don't know what to do that is right. They don't know how to obey. They don't know how to get along with others. They don't know how to finish a task. Many feel entitled to everything. They don't respect authority. They've been given everything by their parents except the skills and character needed to succeed in life. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, The Apostle Paul lays out a character training program that happens in the home in order to help people stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Verse 11. The training doesn't start when young adults enter their careers. It starts when they're kids, and it starts at home. So Scripture gives two commands to children. Very simple. Obey your parents. That's command number one. The first lesson a soldier must learn is obedience to those in authority. When a child learns to obey their parents at home, they are prepared to obey their boss at work, verse number five, and prepared to obey God in all matters of spiritual practice, verses 10 through 20. The word obey, it means to hear under, to listen with attentiveness, oh, and catch the last of this, and respond positively to what is heard. Ooh, come on now. If you grew up in the same type of home I did, it wasn't enough to just do the right thing if you didn't have the right attitude. You'd still get a whooping with the bad attitude. Okay, this word obey, it's not only about action, it's also about attitude. The obligation is not merely on the side of the child to obey, it's also on the side of the parent to enforce obedience. God has placed parents... As authorities over their children. To the children, God says, obey your parents. To the parents, God says, train your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Please hear me. When a parent does not enforce obedience, they're teaching their child it is okay to disobey God. They learn obedience in the home. Just as an obedient child brings happiness and tranquility to a family, a disobedient child brings grief to his mother, Proverbs 10.1, unhappiness and destruction to his father, Proverbs 17.21, and disgrace to both parents, Proverbs 19.26. The second command that is given to children is honor your parents, found in verses 2 and 3. While obedience is primarily about actions, honor is primarily about attitude. To honor means to highly value, to hold in highest regard and to respect. Now you might recognize that this particular section is actually referenced over in the 10 commandments. It is the only commandment in the 10 that relates to the family because when this one command is obeyed, it secures a right relationship between the parent and the child. When it's obeyed, it becomes the basis of all other submission and authority relationships. It prepares that child to obey teachers, to obey law enforcement, to obey future bosses. And here it is again, to obey God as their ultimate authority honoring your father and mother also carries a promise of long life that should be a really good incentive I don't know why parents aren't using this incentive more often here's basically what it's being set up as you can obey and live long or you can disobey and die early that's basically what he's setting up for you this is a this is a promise this is a command with a promise He gives two commands to children. He gives two commands also to parents. First, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, this sounds strange, but the word fathers can also include mothers. I know it sounds strange, but here's the reason. The the word there is "pateras," father. It referred primarily to male parents, but sometimes it was used of parents in general. We find that over in Hebrews 11.23 when describing the Moses, or Moses' parents. Also, in the previous three verses, Paul has been speaking to both parents. And by the way, both parents are capable of provoking their children to anger. It is believed that the word fathers is used in this text because they are ultimately responsible for the direction of what happens within their home. To provoke to anger, it means ongoing patterns of treatment that gradually builds resentment. It could be something like hovering over your kid, smothering your kid, showing favoritism, pointing out everything a child does wrong, or making your child feel unwanted. It could be things like physical and verbal abuse. It could be having double standards within your family. Here's another one. It could be not growing up and acting like an adult. You do that long enough, your children begin to resent you for it. Those are a few of the examples. Here's the second command given to parents. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Or as some translations would say, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The word discipline, it refers to systematic training of all parts of the child. Systematic training, all parts. That is instructing the mind, shaping the character, bending the will, awakening the conscience, enriching the soul, building the body, all parts. It carries the idea of ongoing, consistent correction for wrongdoing. Now, here's your second word there. It's instruction. Instruction. It means putting into the mind and also includes the idea of correction. Now, this is not instruction in the sense of factual information, but rather it's focused on right attitudes and proper behavior. We admonish our children to do what is right. We confront them when they are doing what is wrong. We correct, we punish behavior when it is outside of the will of God and outside of the rules of our home. Now, here's an important question. Every parent has to ask, whose discipline and instruction are you to bring your kids up in? Is it the parents? Is it the latest parenting books? Is it the discipline and instruction that was showing up in the most recent psychological survey? The text says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. He's the one who defines what discipline and instruction should look like. So put those pieces together. Kids are to obey and honor their parents. That's the child's part. Parents are not to provoke their children to anger, but they are to provide systematic, thought-out, consistent discipline where they instruct their children in the proper attitude as well as in behavior. Now that sounds old school in its parenting techniques. But did you know it's not just the Bible saying that? Listen to this. In the article, Unraveling Juvenile Delinquency, two Harvard sociologists gave similar findings. They developed a test with 90% accuracy to tell at the ages of five and six years old if a child was going to become delinquent as a young adult. At five and six years old and here's what they said, prevents delinquency. The father's firm, fair, and consistent discipline. The mother's supervision and companionship during the day. The parents' demonstrated affection for each other and for the children. And the family spending time together in activities where all participated. They said those four pieces, when they're a part of the home, help prevent delinquency later in life. One of the things I keep saying over and over and over again is if you can give your your kids anything, it doesn't matter if you've got all the resources in the world, if you don't give your children these two things, you're setting them up for failure, a godly heritage and a stable home. Give those two things. That has absolutely nothing to do with socioeconomic status. It has everything to do with the environment you're creating within the home. Here's another quote. I'm not going to tell you where it comes from until after I read you the quote. It's a fun quote. It starts like this. Every baby starts life as a little savage. That's fun stuff. (laughs) He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle... His mother's attention, his playmates' toys, his uncle's watch, or whatever. Deny him these, and he seized with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous if he were not so helpless. He's dirty. He has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to their impulsive actions to satisfy every want, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, or a rapist." End of quote. Now you might say, Paul, like what Jonathan Edwards sinners in the hands of an angry God sermon did you fish that out of? That is a part of the Minnesota Crime Commission report on the increase of juvenile and adult crimes. Put the pieces together. Harvard sociologists are now... Seeing with 90% accuracy at the ages of five and six, these are traits that lead to a life of problems. Navy recruiters are having to turn people away. All branches of the armed services turning people away because they're not trained the way they need to be trained at home. Mission boards are saying we're sending our kids out, but they're coming back as casualties of the cause because they're not prepared for life outside of the home scripture shows if you want to train soldiers who can stand firm against the schemes of the devil it has to start in the home and it has to start early we need to train with the end in mind parenting is not only about getting little bobby to stop crying right now it's about preparing little bobby for the rest of his life gospel-centered parenting deals with sin and character issues at the nature level it addresses what parents need to know and what kids need to understand to have success in life it provides discipline and instruction for behavior as well as attitude when the gospel is lived at home it reminds the parents and it teaches the children over and over again about the four key pieces of the gospel creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Each facet of that gospel story impacts human existence inside the home and outside the home. Part of how you build self-worth and value into your child's life is to remind them they were intentionally and fearfully and wonderfully made. They are not an accident. They are a part of God's divine creation. Part of the way you warn children about the pitfalls of life and the the destructive influence of the enemy is to show the way that he is destroying lives around them. Part of giving children hope and stability is reminding them of the cross's victory and of the tomb's assurance. Part of building family dynamics that are strong and vibrant is showing love, demonstrating grace, giving mercy, all of which we learn through the gospel it's mirrored and it's taught at home now we're about to stir it up if that didn't do it already there's a lot of negative things said about the local church and unfortunately many times it's true you'll hear people say there's too much hypocrisy in the church too much of a show too many scandals too little discipleship too few prayer warriors. And if we're not careful, our excuses for what's happening at the church can become a catch-all for why people in our family are not walking with the Lord. Even if the church is struggling, our homes can be hotbeds of gospel transformation. The church is not the primary discipler of children What's happening in the home is what comes to church on Sunday. Weak churches start with weak homes. Change it at the home level. Change it between mom and dad. Change it so that the parents understand. It's not the youth pastor's responsibility to make sure my child understands the gospel. One day down the road, I have to give an account before my creator of the children he has blessed me with. It's coming back to the home. Think about it like this. Our homes should look like miniature churches steeped in the mission and the message of the gospel. Christian marriage, it should mirror the relationship of Christ and the church. Christian parenting applies gospel truths in discipline and instruction of the Lord. It should be that when somebody wants to understand the gospel, they should be able to come to a Christian parent and say, what does it look like? And that parent should be able to say, come home with me for dinner this next week. I'll show you the gospel lived in real time. It should happen in the home. Christian parents who've been changed by the gospel should be the first to be able to say, in our home, we practice repentance and we offer to apologize quickly. We ask forgiveness when we have wronged someone, and we humbly extend it to those around us. Why? Because we've been forgiven of much. We learned it in the gospel. We deeply love each other because we are deeply loved by God. We practice humility, and we speak what is edifying to each other. We exemplify gratefulness and we frequently thank God together as a family for what he has done and how he's provided and for who he is. We extend grace in our family because grace has been extended to us. We serve each other in our family. We do chores in our family because our Savior called us to serve each other. We worship together. We go to church together. We grow together. We study the Word of God together. We talk about life together. We work through problems together. We live on mission together. We focus on eternity together because that is gospel living. That's what the gospel looks like like at home, all of that leads in to this big truth. Our homes should reflect the truths of the gospel and be laboratories for gospel exploration and growth. Why do you think that the enemy is hell-bent on destroying the home? Why do you think the enemy is more than happy to see absentee dads and distracted moms? The enemy knows if he can destroy the fabric of the Christian home, he doesn't have to worry about soldiers for Jesus in the next generation. How do we practically live the gospel at home? This is not an exhaustive list. Read, teach, and memorize Scripture together. Teach your children and your grandchildren. The Bible is God's Word. The Bible is inspired. The Bible is inerrant. The Bible is infallible. The Bible is sufficient. The Bible is complete. Do not be afraid of giving your children theological terms. They can handle it. You just explain it more to them. They can handle it. Consider using a good catechism for discipleship structure. About two years ago, I went through this one, the New City Catechism. My my children are almost grown, they're almost out of our home. But I wanted to read what are some of the current catechisms? Would they be something I could give to somebody else? That was a strong catechism. It gives structure. Model the Christian life at home and model your home around Scripture. Pray around your kids for your kids and with your kids. Let me say around, here's what I mean by that. It's good for your kids to walk in and find you on your knees in prayer. It's good for you to pray as a family. It's good for you to pray for your children and tell your children what you're praying for in their life, it's good to do those things. Teach the gospel often and early. Teach about the nature, character, and attributes of God. Teach and practice repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation at home. If If they have a framework, if they understand what those terms are like, when they hear the gospel, when they hear the call of Christ, they now understand what forgiveness is for and where reconciliation fits and how do you act in grace and mercy to those around them. Teach and show those pieces. Show mercy, grace, and patience at home. Speak of the reality of the gospel when people die. You might disagree with me on this, but that's okay. Um, I think parents sometimes try to protect their children from the realities of death to the point they don't know how to process death in a biblical way. When you grow up in a pastor's home, like my girls did, you go to a lot of funerals. And when that happens, guess what? We talk about the gospel. In almost every message, you're, you're wanting to find out, was there a time in this person's life when they've repented of their sin by placing faith in Christ? If that has not happened, then my hope is now going to be for those who are in the room right now that, that there could be something in that person's life. They don't have to take the same path as the one who had passed away. If that person did place faith in Christ, you give the hope of the gospel that they are absent from the body as present with the Lord. That's great teaching moments. Also, speak of the effects of the fall when people are sick. Speak of creation when you walk in nature. My mom could not walk around with a little kid and not point out every grasshopper, every leaf, every acorn, every bird soaring in the sky. She would point and she would describe God's creation. I grew up in that, so we didn't have a whole lot of those things. We had some scorpions roaming around out in Vegas, and and we had a couple of bugs here and there. So I had to teach my girls about nature through National Geographic and every program ever created about Alaska. And they are better people because of it. They They can tell you all sorts of stuff about nature, but nature is a way that you talk about creation, talk about a creator, talk about a design. Use the difficult moments of life to direct gospel conversations. Be consistent and biblical with discipline at home. Recognize that our home reveals and it shapes our heart. We say things to our spouse and our kids we would never say to anyone else. We show levels of anger to our families that we would never show to those who are not in our home. If you can be a good Christian in your home, you can be a good Christian anywhere. If you can't be a good Christian in your home, you're not a good Christian anywhere. If those who know you the most say that's not the same person who's behind closed doors, there's a problem in how we're living the gospel. We can apply passages at home, I put them in your notes. This is my last one, I've already stirred it up enough. Uh, You can read the rest of them, but hey, slow down for periods of introspection, evaluation, and reflection with God. I believe one of the greatest lies that Christian parents have bought is you have to constantly keep your kids entertained. If you live with that mindset, you will keep them involved in everything because you're scared to death of having a real conversation if you're home with them. How will the parents know where they are in their walk with God if they don't have time to talk with them? How will they have teachable moments if they're never with them? There is so much gospel application we could go through. In his farewell sermon, Jonathan Edwards linked the home, the church, and the gospel with this quote. Every Christian family ought to be, as it were, a little church consecrated to Christ and wholly influenced and governed by his rules. Is the gospel on display in your home? Are there areas right now that that God's Getting your attention and saying, these are tweaks, these are changes, these are modifications that need to be made. If we are not concerned about our own home, who's going to be concerned for us? If we don't want to live with the consequences of children walking away from the Lord, we have to be serious about what's happening in the home right now. I know some people are saying, Paul, I wish I'd have heard this message 30 years ago, 40 years ago. I I wish I'd, here's the thing, if you're hearing the message today, God wants you to hear it today. You might not have children in the home, but there's a good chance you might have grandchildren coming down the road. There's a good chance you know of other people who have small children, and they're looking for advice. Don't don't waste the experience that God has given you. Instead, guide it towards a gospel end. Would you bow with me for prayer? His heads are bowed, eyes closed just a moment. I understand there's a lot of heaviness that happens in a message like this. I understand that sometimes the enemy will take a message and say, these are all the things that you've done wrong. The reason scripture provides clarity in this area is not to bring condemnation. It is to bring understanding so that next year and five years from now, there can be a different dynamic happening within the home. In the book of Joel, it says that God can restore the years the locusts have eaten. There's families that there's been a generational destruction of the home. And maybe today God is saying, I'm calling you to be the one to help break that chain. It starts with where you are today. None of us can change the past. It doesn't matter. You could have been the greatest parent on the planet, and I guarantee you still did some things wrong. The issue is, what do you do today? What's the next step?